Hello and welcome to episode 383 of the Creighton Crowbar. It is the 13th of October 2021. My name is Chris Thurston and joining me tonight is Alex Wiltshire. Hello. Alex, I've made an extraordinarily extraordinary meal of my attempts to open this podcast. I really hope that listeners won't ever know because Graham will have done me a huge favor with the edit. But every single number I just said, whether it was part of a date or uh, or in- entirely irrelevant, um, was at some point subbed in for the actual episode number. I don't know what's going on. It's a it's shaky strange. start. If only we could have eaten this meal of numbers that you provided. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just sort of, uh, something, something happened. There was some sort of cosmic movement that caused me to just blurt numbers for a while. I'm hanging a lampshade on this because I am aware that my desire to not stop and restart the recording has handed Graham a certain amount of ammunition um, to use do you, against. Do you me feel an outro coming? I feel an outro. I feel it coming. Um, oh, baby, I, I feel the outro coming, um, and. Um, <laughs> I just want to. I just want to have my say about that before uh, it does, right? You can't because you can't edit this out. This is too exactly smoothed in. Exactly, this is he too. Have the skills. Don't say that. <laughs> this too closely resembles content for it to be removed. <laughs> Alex, do you share my real terror of Willy Wonka? Yes. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Um, all the all the versions of him as well. Yeah. Mm. Right. I um I think the the Gene Wilder William Wonka and the Chocolate Factory was the, the first film I ever saw. Ooh, question okay. mark. It genuinely might be. And mm. um I I I also thoroughly believe that my love of kind of like um both cosmic horror and a sort of um a sort of horror slash fascination with um sort of uh like punishment horror was also born in that moment right that is a torture film it is it's 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 about torture it's about um using uh kind of populations of people you know just sort of as labor forces it's it's, it's it really was the squid game of its time i it think is, yeah. and um uh, you know it's about how the 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 identity that people bring into this um hell facility ultimately determines the means by which they leave it and what kind of man could do that uh only an expert chocolatier i believe but the reason <laughs> this is on my mind is because someone's uh, because my my neighborhood um, WhatsApp group, um, which is principally a means for people to complain about the kind of angle and bearing of one another's bins, has come alive tonight um, because somebody's only gone and papped Timothy Chalamet down the weir um, Chris, where they are Chris, filming Wonka. <laughs> who is Timothy Chalamet? I'm not, I, I know this is probably a bad well, question. Everyone very excited because he's, he's, this is, and this is a, 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 a tremendously unsettling convergence for me because obviously you've got the origin of my terrors in Willy Wonka, but you've also got the origin of my um, uh, love of space opera in Paul Atreides. He's, he's the actor who plays Paul Atreides. He's in, him. In, yeah. He's, oh, you, know, you, you know, young, young leading man with cheekbones like a D12. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's him. 
someone's someone's papped him from extremely far away. So is um, he Wonka then? Went, yeah, he's he's young Wonka. They're doing like Wonka Origins or something. Wonka Origins, good fucking god! I know. <laughs> <laughs> this is just the st- what a fucking state. <laughs> Why would you I mean, do that? I mean, I, I, I'm sure you, I think you're referring to cinema as a medium there. Right? Yeah, no, yeah, it is. Mm. The, the, so, I mean, the, the one of the points that, like, the, the Charlie Chocolate and the Pop Chocolate Factory, Charlie Chocolate things, and the Pocket Charlie Factory. Chocolate and the <laughs> Charlie Chocolate and the Pocket Factory. Yeah, go on. Yeah. <laughs> The thing about it, like the thing that, that makes it work is that you're wondering what kind of a monster Wonka is and where could he have come mm. from. You never want that answered. And I know that the Tim Burton one actually did, but in a kind of expressionistic, Burton-y kind of way. Yeah. It wasn't very interestingly explained or, or shown off, but, but you, you know, and, and it wasn't good. Don't go even more explicit about it. No, 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 no. And no, I don't want, it's not like I want to keep Wonka kind of a great mystery because he's a wonderful part of human culture or anything. But like, just, just fucking don't, don't bother. That's my, that's my review. Well, I'm really, I'm glad to say, Alex, that um, where we might previously have shouted these sort of opinions that we hold very intensely for about 10 seconds and then never think about ever again, um, (laughs) we would have shouted them pointlessly into microphones um for the dubious benefit of a listening audience you could actually leave your house right now walk for about 25 <laughs> minutes down to Pulteney Weir and scream this directly at Wonka himself <laughs> chuck that fucking Chalamet in the fucking Weir no Watch that's him. that's advocating like no we can't repeat the the can't repeat the Les Miserables incident um where we chucked Russell Crowe in the Weir um Yes, there's a. I appreciate. We'll talk about games eventually. I promise. But one of my favourite cinema going experiences ever was seeing uh, the Les Mis film, the recent one with Marsh at the Little Theatre in, in Bath, which is a cinema principally kind of. Um, it used to be before they opened an even posher cinema. It was the posh cinema, and we went to see Les Mis, and Marsh and I were the youngest people there by about seventy years. Um, <laughs> And I'm the only people there who hadn't gone to see Lamez immediately after their big waitress shop, um, <laughs> and and it was it was a good it was a rollicking old time. It was emotional. People were really feeling it, getting into the music. They were feeling the 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 fervor of it. And then the, um, the best thing I've ever seen happened, which is obviously in spoilers for Lamez uh, in that film in that adaptation, um, the role of Javert, the the police officer, is played by Russell Crowe, who sort of kind of he's not the strongest singer i quite like his presence in the film but he sort of like honk weebles his sort of final song stars out to the to the sky the skies of paris and famously at the end of that song he, he takes his own life he, he jumps off a rooftop into the into the seine but in the film he jumps off a rooftop in cgi palace in cgi paris and then a uh a, a, transparently a big stuffed doll of russell crowe is thrown into pulteney weir in bath um, it's like very, very it lands, foamy thing. It, yeah, it lands with a wet crunch on those nice sort of like ovoid, like, like I don't know what they call breakers that Steady are down there in the wind. Yeah. And the moment this happened, this is like the emotional climax of, of this song, of also of this character, <laughs> very much so because it is literally the end of his life. And in that moment, the the, the faint sniffles from every every older gentleman in the room was replaced in that moment with, <laughs> 
look, it's the weir. Ooh, like in a chorus very close of to Waitrose. Ooh, well, very close, close to Waitrose. We were just down there earlier. And um, it was it was wonderful. It was one of my favourite cinema going moments. Um, so I will say this for uh, Charlie Chocolate Origins. Um, it will have at least one moment that makes a Bath Cinema audience go, well, that's just right down the road. <laughs> chocolate Origins. That's good. That is the Charlie's name, Chocolate Origins. Oh, yeah. shit. That's the name of the film. Fuck, mm. that's got to be the name of the film. Anyway, <laughs> a chocolate orange. Um, Stanley Kubrick's A Chocolate Orange. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, fuck. Okay. We talked for 10 minutes about complete nothing um I it's funny that you should we should have done this because you've got something very important to impart yeah. i've got <laughs> very page, important got a, piece of I've got a major housekeeping of yeah i've got major housekeeping to do and you can tell i'm avoiding it because well it's good news everyone are. don't worry it it's is good, good news, news yeah, yeah. Everyone. <laughs> this is it by the way episode ends here we're done we've got it <laughs> see you then bye <laughs> giving up podcasting to scream at actors um <laughs> tell me fuck off <laughs> Alex, no! Alex, no! <laughs> Splash! Um, <laughs> uh, so, uh, let me compose myself because I've, I've gone on a little magical fantasia of my own there. Um, uh, maybe it's not too late for me to be an umpa-lumpa. Um, I thought I never thought I would have. Um, so, uh, yeah, we do have a major piece of housekeeping because over, <laughs> fuck, over the... A few things. Um, we have, I think I mentioned the last time I was on the podcast, last week even, um, that we were, uh, we've been talking about the the various sort of challenges that we faced with the podcast over the last couple of years, really. Um, but, but, but coming to a bit of a head over the last couple of months, the issues with um, scheduling, game, being able to get the podcast out consistently and on time, um, and about some of the challenges we faced in terms of our own changing lives, changing relationship with games, uh, changing... Um, sort of ability to render takes onto the things that we are playing or that we're encountering in the industry because you know so much has changed you know um it's it's funny that uh, our website which uh, i plan to update very soon hopefully by the time this goes out is a sort of time capsule of a few years ago when i was still a journalist rather than a game developer when you know the, the so many of our lives are in different configurations um so we've had needed to have a pretty um for a while now a conversation about what, what's the crate and crowbar going to be going forward what what shape does it take now that COVID initially pushed us to remote recording? Um, but that in turn has been this great boon in a way that has allowed us to retain, you know, uh, the services of Tom Francis and now Marsh, who's overseas, and all of the different sort of complicating factors in that. Uh, and the thing I'm happy to say is that we've had that conversation now and we've, we think we've figured it out. So I will, I'll make sure that this information is available in several forms apart from just on this episode, but I figured for our longstanding listeners, um, uh, the intro to this podcast is going to be baffling to anyone for whom this is their first episode, I think. But <laughs> for everybody else, um, this is how things are going to be, um, starting with this episode, actually. So um, there's several key beats here. Join me, if you will, as I take you on a little boat through the tunnel of housekeeping. Um, Alex will provide the songs. Um, don't Come with me <laughs> the um, on a journey of pure Google calendars. Um, so <laughs> thing one, the main episodes of Crate and Crowbar, i.e. The, the games podcast that you are familiar with, um, 
will from now on be fortnightly. We are moving to a fortnightly schedule because this will allow us to touch wood consistently hit that Friday publish date that we traditionally aim for. And it gives us individually more time to gather up our honks, to just pull them together, to play games, to play more of games, to develop richer takes on the things that we've been playing. To that end, though, that brings me to point number two. Um, thing B, we're not just going to be a PC games podcast anymore. Um, this has been implicitly true for a really, really long time. Um, and one of the most common bits of feedback we've received is that the majority of people aren't that attached to the fact that this is billed as a PC gaming podcast. So we want to just formally acknowledge that shift. Um, from now on, Crate and Crowbar will be a games podcast. And that means PC games, it means console games, it means board games, card games, you know, in deck builders, whatever we, we people have been playing that they find interesting. Because I think... I think, um, and I will, I will speak my own opinion on this, and I hope you agree, Alex. I think our best material tends to come either from the stories that arrive arise from us playing games or the kind of uh, occasional um, design insights we can kind of offer, um, mm. particularly the the designers in our midst. And I don't think any, either of those things are, are attached to platform. Obviously, the fact that um, the PC is such a strong personal and professional shared element in our like various histories will mean that I, I suspect it will remain pretty preeminent. Yeah. Um, but we're no longer going to apologize every time someone wants to talk about a switch game or every time the most interesting th- thing someone's played that week was a board game. For example, we're just going to treat that as we would anything else. Exactly. Um, it's going to be the same. It's like the, the, the thing that it's, it's the same voice talking about, really similar things i think is the thing so yeah right i think that if you enjoyed the the the, the pc game takes it'll be the same takes but for all games indeed and like as i said this is really more a case of formalizing something that has been implicitly the case than radically changing the the formula to be honest um the other side of that which is also kind of again formalizing something that has been happening anyway is um we are basically going to change the way we approach both news and questions in slightly different ways in the case of news we are going to um i think what we have found is that we're not really a news podcast scheduling comes into this but i don't think that's what we're kind of coming to news is valuable to us when something happens that we find genuinely kind of chewy and and worth kind of going over like an e3 or a big announcement show or something like that those things are worth it but what we're not going to do is stretch for news every episode so we're going to default to not doing news unless there is something that we actually want uh, to draw out in which case it may as well just be treated as a subject like any other and we do know that that's going to be quite difficult to people like bobby kotick listeners like that who do take their their insights into the game industry and, and current affairs um from here as part of their uh, approaches to the strategy of their major um, yeah. corporations but i'm it's, sorry it's just not our interest right exactly i mean i appreciate that the, the work we've already done in that regard on this episode means that right now someone is staying up late at, at fortnight to make sure that the wonka <laughs> skin is there day and date um but um but you you know you're quite right alex i think that's that service to the the industry we're just gonna have to stop doing um, because yeah, it was uh, free and they can go free. they can go screw themselves yeah um great 
Um, the, <laughs> um, the, with regards to questions, uh, we are still taking time to think about this. We basically want to think about how to make questions from questions as a segment, a more rewarding experience to the people who write in and a more effectively, a more kind of, um, reliable or fruitful thing for us as podcasters. We, we've sort of seen the, um, the, the effect it has when we don't get to people's questions or we don't read them. And one thing that I think Marsh has said on discord that I would repeat here is when we don't read out a question, it's not because of the question it's because of us. Um, it's because, you know, it's like we struggle to have a great answer that we think would, would make for a fun podcast or, mm. you know, we don't necessarily have a personal story to bring to bear about the, the, the issue being raised. And that is something that becomes, just has become more of a, more of a thing over time. So we want to rethink it. Um, and what that means is questions probably going away for a while. Um, the, we will keep the mailbox open. And one thing I suspect is that the role of questions may have a relationship with the other part of this plan, hmm, which I will get to momentarily. Um, I appreciate that that um, answer regarding questions is a little kind of open at the moment, and that's because it's literally something we need to figure out. We think there's a huge amount of value in like having listener voices in the pod. Yeah, and, definitely. And, and some of the best stuff I think we've well, we've had some amazing emails over the years, and we've also like some of the most fun I've ever had recording the podcast has been bouncing off that. I don't want to lose that, but. Um, I think as it has been working in the last couple of months, years, I think we need to make some changes. However, so obviously there's this sort of mixed news here because obviously the consequence of those two changes is the podcast might get a little shorter as we focus on the kind of the meat of it, the stuff that we, we traditionally kind of bring. Um, when I say shorter, I mean, I think we're kind of kind of going to informally aim for 60 to 90 minutes, which is approximately where we've been ending up lately anyway, as opposed to the sort of two hour plus marathons that we've traditionally done. So I appreciate as a person who does comms from time to time um, that there's some good there and there's also some um, difficult stuff in terms of podcasts less frequently and that may be shorter. The big but that's coming, and you better believe there's a big but coming, is that we have a plan for the off weeks as well. So on the we are fine we the off weeks are going to be the new time that you get lock-ins. So if, if you're not familiar, uh, a lock-in is a format we kind of just started tinkering with over the years, which was an excuse for us to record essentially a supplementary podcast where we would go really deep initially on like a specific game. Like we wanted to do a spoilery podcast about Prey, for example. And later we kind of span it out into like the, the sort of Star Wars analysis podcasts I did with my sister. We've done it on many different subjects. I've, I've recorded um, these with Pip about Animal Crossing, Valheim. Um, you know, a lock-in, as far as we're concerned, is basically our word for a a one-off special podcast on a subject that's of interest to at least two of us, um, including people we can bring in or guests or, and so on. Um, the plan is for us to provide a lock-in on the off weeks. So you'll still get a podcast every week. It will just alternate between a main episode, uh, which is often recorded pretty close to when we um, publish them and a lock-in which in, in cases can be recorded a little bit further in advance which will also give us a bit more of a buffer and make sure that we're getting the big content out even when the scheduling difficulties arise and this also lets us answer something that we have seen in requests and, and in, in feedback which is for us to not just talk about games sometimes so lock-ins could be about games they could be about things or, or genres or something we wanted to dig into 
they can also be about films. Um, last week's hour-long sort of sub support sub pod about the Green Knight is a great example of what that might look like in the future. Um, they could be about TV shows. They could be about smells. They could be <laughs> about weirs. There's so many things they mm. could be about. Those are all of them. Um, it's mostly weirs. Yeah. Um, and um, and the the goal there is to try and kind of keep things fresh for ourselves and and, and make sure that there's there's interesting things coming through the feed. This will all be part of the same feed because part of this broader effort is going to be to kind of consolidate our gains rather than you know uh, operate a little mini network as we kind of gestured at in the past. This will be one podcast um, that will make no sense. And that is uh, by somewhat by design. Um, so there's a there's an elephant in the room here. It's like, what does this mean for Patreon? Because at the moment, um, Patreon um, charges our individual uh, patrons whenever we produce an episode. And something that we're aware of is that the lock-ins by nature are going to be fairly... Not, not every lock-in is going to be for everybody for various reasons. If you you might not want to listen to our lock-in on the Green Knight, uh, which we're not doing because that was part of the last episode, but by way of example, because you haven't seen it yet or you just don't care or any of these other reasons. Um, you know, they definitely are bonus material in some senses. So for the time being, we will only be charging for the main series episodes. So for the things called episode, basically, um, this will reduce our kind of like take from Patreon overall. It means people individually are paying less. Um, this is not necessarily an issue because we are also taking less at the moment by virtue of having scheduling issues. So, but with that in mind, it will be something that we think about, we revisit, might investigate other ways of supporting the podcast if Patreon is no longer the best fit given this new plan. That's all for the future. At the moment, not necessarily concerned about making less. It would rather be fixing the the, the problem, basically, um, and, and building something a bit more sustainable and consistent out of it. Hmm. And so, yeah, so given everything that's happened over the last couple of years and all the different changes in our lives, this is effectively a little reboot with a view to making Crate and Crowbar generally um, more consistent and more tightly focused on the things that people actually hopefully want um, from us. Yeah. And I think it's like, it'll still have very much the same flavor as well. Like it's still, it's still the same people talking the stuff about the things, you know, it's not kind of changing formats particularly, you know, it's not, kind of you know there may be some different voices coming in mm-hmm. in some sort of but i don't think we can really confirm or, or talk about that no we shouldn't really get into that just yet because because also i think i don't want to just spend half this podcast on willy wonka and housekeeping but um the i, I my my view is that we need to make sure the format works for the core cast before we can expand that formula out for new voices. In the past, we've talked about guests as a bit of like a kind of, as the sort of X factor that would help solve some of these problems. I don't think that's quite right. I think we need to make sure that we as a group are kind of make, getting back in the saddle because it's changed a lot, right? We're no longer showing up at my house on Tuesday night to drink rum and, and honk. Mm. Um, it's all very different. And so, yeah, trying to adapt to that in a way that makes make sure we get to, and this is a frightening thing, that 10 year anniversary, which is not that far away. Hmm. That's horrifying. How do you feel about that? Mm, it is absolutely horrifying. There you go. There's a little <laughs> twist of the knife at the end of this, uh, at the end of this very long section. Um, so yeah, um, to sum up main episodes, every two weeks, lock-ins on the off weeks, 
we will talk about games of all kinds. Lock-ins can cover any subject. Patreon backers will only be charged for main episodes. News when we want to do it, but not by default. Questions, kind of the same uh, with a view to dig much deeper into that subject and find a new destination um, and a new kind of uh, focus for them, which may also be related to the lock-ins. Um, with that in mind, appreciate people will have thoughts um, and and feelings about all of this. Because I have literally forgotten what our other email addresses are, if you do have thoughts about this, if you love it, if you hate it, whatever, you can obviously talk to us on Discord, but um, you can also email us at questions at greatandcrowbar.com, um, which um, I guess we can subtly retheme from questions for the podcast to questions about the podcast, um, or just questioning noises about the decisions that underlie the podcast. Um, with all that said, I am very conscious that we've been talking for like 25 minutes already, and we haven't even had a little sniff of computer game. Not even a little bit. Can I, but, can I offer you a whiff? I would, I would, I would take a whole big, a big snort of game right now. Great big inward and honk. I, yeah, give me that, give me that big honk, Alex. Far Cry Six. That sounds like a game. That's a big honk. It is a big honk. It's a really big honk. All right, we said nothing was going to change, Alex. Come on. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know quite why I'm playing it. <laughs> It's, it's, it's the same. It's all the, it's all the things, you know, like, I don't think, I think almost apart from the individual kind of nouns that, uh, that, that, that we've talked about with Far Cry 5, for example, mm. I think you can apply all pretty much all of them to Far Cry 6. Um, what are those nouns and verbs? Those nouns are, it's really big. Oh, mm. it's a bit uneven politically and kind of generally in tone and stuff. Yeah. It's really fun. I mm. love the guns. Oh. What a beautiful world. Oh. All those things, they all hold completely true for um, Far Cry 6, as they did mm. with Far Cry 5, and but basically throughout the series, you know, more or less. I think that the, mm. the current uh, tonal um, questionableness uh, is, is kind of, is, is more for 5 and 6, but it, it, this, so the, Far Cry 6 is... So I would say 3 to 6, probably. Would you say 3? Three? 3 was kind of like had a sort of distance of sort of weird exoticism. And, you know, I know it was kind of set in a semi realistic um, sort of environment, but I think, I think it was a different age and different we forgave age. it, but it wouldn't stand up now. Yeah. It would, it, the same questions would be leveled at it now, put it that way. Yeah. Yeah, probably. And then I, four was the one that was set in sort of like, like a Tibeti? T Tibet Tibeti. or Nepal, maybe. Nepal, and that maybe. definitely had its own, its own, things so yeah yeah tell me about Fokker 6 tell me about how you found it how, how much have you played so um i've played about sort of six maybe six or seven hours um mm -hmm. by the i can't remember what the percentages but by the map i have filled out a tiny 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 portion of the map and you know you can even see how where you've actually explored because it it's completely grayed out until you've even ventured into areas quite apart from you know filling out the icons um it is a really, really big world, and I'm pretty sure it's quite a lot larger than uh, Far Cry 5's Montana. Um, Far Cry 6 is set on Cubery, Cubist, Cub, Cubi, Cubic. It's, it's it's like Cuba. It's, it's yeah, an island. It's called Yara. Is that right? Yara. Yeah, it's Yara. Yeah. Um, 
a there was a revolution in the sixties, mm. uh, and now the um, and I, oh, I, this is a plot point that I should probably be aware of, but I'm pretty sure the current president is the son of the revolutionary president. Um, mm-hmm. and he's gone bad. Oh, also, no. he's Gus out of um, out of Breaking Bad, uh-huh. and um, doing doing Gus out of Breaking Bad, and um, and he's got a son as well, and his son is very young, and doesn't seem to really want to do all the being bad thing, but his dad's desperate to make him do the bad thing. So that's the that's the political situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, you tried to flee. Uh, the island after a particularly bad crackdown on people who did not conform to the regime. Uh, but you got stuck there and now you've landed up with all the revolutionaries um, the who are blue. The, the, all their stuff is blue. It's very nicely color-coded. And all the stuff that is the, the, the bad regime is white and red. So that's, that's okay. convenient. So when mm-hmm. you're looking around, blue is good. Um, and that, that is basically the setup. And, you know, you, I probably didn't need to say almost all of that because it's when you hear it's about Cuba, you can pretty much fill in all the bits, really. Maybe you, you know. Mm. Um, uh, and, you know, it's, you know, by now, I mean, I don't even know how many spinoffs of Far Cry there are now. So there are six mainline games now. And there's been like Blood four Dragon or and five. Primal. And, yeah, Primal. Yeah. The, the one, the last one, the kind of mm. slightly in the future one. I don't know. Um, uh, so they're really good at making these games and the performances are, are really well done. Like the, they, they are really good at doing snappy dialogue to kind of, you know, as you're getting a quest, you know, it's, it's all well done. Like the characters are pretty good. There's a, um, one particular character called Philly, um, who's in the kind of the mainland um, area that I've, I'm currently exploring. Uh, the, the the island of Yara is split into districts and I'm starting on the western side. Each of these districts is headed by a bad dude who mm. works in some measure for the, the bad regime, doing torturing and, and drug things and all that sort of thing. Um, and I'm figuring out one. And there is a center of, uh, of resistance in each of these regions that, mm-hmm. that it seems to be the general pattern is that your job is to link up that resistance group with the one that you started with and to link them all up so that there's a, a like a cohesive force against the, the the government and um we've met this guy called philly who is like it's just a he's just a good character like he's um an inventor type and his dialogue and performance are just he's crazy but extremely uh uh, a, a very good uh inventor and so mm-hmm. i just went through a um a mission where i had to steal a truck which is i'm sure i'll be doing lots more of in the in the many hundreds of missions to come but um and on the truck he won't tell you what you're stealing that's in the back of the truck but when you get to it it's a load of um weapons crates and so he opens the crates and they're full of guns and you think oh well wow brilliant sold him some guns and he's going no, no, and he starts kind of um, uh, getting the the packing foam and kind of letting it fall through his fingers as if it was sort of um, doubloons. And um, it turns out that he's after that because the, apparently this packing stuff burns like not, no business, nobody's business, and 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 is really hard to get hold of. And the next mission is going to show me the inventive way that he's going to use it. Like that was a nice twist. That was a good twist. Mm-hmm. That served a fun character who's kind of been extremely sort of. He, first time you met him, he made me 
accidentally kind of rig myself up to a bomb because he didn't trust me. And, you know, it's, it, he's good. The others are, you know, a little bit more cookie cutter maybe. Um, but ultimately, you know, at the back of your mind through your going, you know, doing all this, you know, meeting these colorful characters and things, the, the thematic sort of disjoint is there as a constant buzz in the background. The fact that mm-hmm. this is recognizably a real place where real things happen. And Far Cry is, it's got a weird relationship with wanting to stick your nose in. It makes you, it, ma- it wants you to kind of see the horrors that you're meant to be fighting against, partly obviously to motivate you, to make you have something to fight against. But I think it also loves the sense of realism that it gives, I think. It wants right. to kind of go, hey, like, the world is bad. And, like, we're a game that kind of where you're the goody, or are you, but you're the goody. And, um, and like, yeah, they're bad people. And here's a bit of torturing. And up to that point, you've just been having a really nice time, just sort of shooting people and kind of seeing nice vistas and mm. kind of, and, you know, it's 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 kind of sort of a constant buzz and when you've got these sort of comedic characters and very cartoony characters like sort of there's uh the daughter of the family group that that is the um the revolutionary group in the in the region that i'm currently exploring uh she is kind of like this badass kind of fighter guerrilla fighter who just sort of goes in and just murders everybody and there's this scene where you first meet her where she's torturing a man in a chair and it's kind of played for laughs to the extent that, um, you know, she's punching him in the face, trying to get information out of him. And you've just walked into the room. Everybody is kind of, it's, it's a trail of death up to this point through this building that, that, um, that you've kind of gone to try. She's at the top of that You're finding it. And, um, you know, he's, she's torturing him in front of you. And at the end, like she does, she says, I'm not going to kill you because I want you to tell, your boss that I'm coming and you've got to do this and you've got to do that to show that we mean business and we want them to be fed. You know, like it gives him a whole list of things. And then the character says, I, I feel like she write this all down. His blood pours down his face. And it's like, no, I don't, I don't want to see torture mm. <laughs> in this context, in this yeah. game. But it know? feels very, it does feel very like we, we, we've done this before. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's not just like, I mean, every, every ubisoft um like open world maybe <laughs> i was about to say ubisoft open world regime change game yeah, um, from genre. assassin's creed to far cry to ghost recon like has that scene in it right the kind <laughs> of like it's torture but you know they're just fun torture. like this guy's spitting out his teeth but he's also spitting out some little little one-liners <laughs> um but it's also very gta very rockstar right like, um, and I'm sure we've, we've talked about this in another context, but I think you know, something you said then kind of like, I do wonder, like, what is the quality that is being sought? You said realism, and I don't disagree with that. I think the other side is a certain kind of like cinematic weight. Yeah. Um, but yeah. it's an interesting one because like, I, I also am a bit tired of that because it is not, it certainly isn't realistic. What it certainly is, is like, uh, a trope of a very particular genre of like military thriller, I guess. Yeah. It sort of comes 24 yeah. Uh, yeah. That kind of style sort of where you can punch people many, many times before they 
sort of really do start throwing up blood. You know? Yeah. And there's this broader sort of, I guess, um, ends justify the means thing yeah. Um, yeah, that yeah. maybe threads through into the gameplay. But I mean... But also he wants you to question it. Wants you, just as you did with Jack Bauer. Ooh, is he a good oh, or a baddie? Ooh, is he really good or not? I mean, yeah. yeah and maybe, I mean, maybe there's a broader kind of like, you know, essay to be written here about like... Um, like the the collective asking is this is this okay by like western pop culture post war on terror right like just it just swathes of of military fiction dedicated to the question was that a bit much um i think and, i think for all yeah. of the all of that genre and and definitely and particularly for games of this type is that it actually provides a little bit of a get out get out course because these you know these games and that genre are about violence they're about reading yeah. and, and 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 doing violence shooting people and when you're when you're kind of got a character doing that to another one and you're not controlling that character and you're being invited to have a little think and like, oh, is this bad? It kind of like remind, oh, don't worry, I'm still a moral person. Oh, this is okay. I can, you know, I've just been reminded of a general morality that I should follow and, and now I feel better. Now I can go out with my favourite gun again and have a fun. Right. It's interesting because the, but there's also that um, big swing and I think it's very apparent in Far Cry 6, but in all the recent Far Cry games where the kinds of violence you do are sort of ludicrous. Not that any of it's not realistic, but like, you know, you have gadgets and contraptions and pets and like your means of waging your guerrilla war are not in any way realistic, right? They're, they're calibrated for fun. Um, I mean, let, let me tell you, yeah. let me tell you about the, the time. So, I mean, it's the, the, the start sequence is like honed, you know, that's so quick and it, it introduces you to just the right amount of stuff to get things moving along. Like it does, like it's, it's a thing of, of finely honed beauty in, in, in its kind of brevity and, and speed. Mm. But it does mean that you are introduced to the motive, motivation um, setting, providing yeah. woman who is going to huh. die. You've established the relationship. She dies. You 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 find yourself washed up on um with your life made anew and uh presented with a t-shirt wearing crocodile that will be your pet for the next <laughs> within i would say 15 minutes like mm -hmm. fucking hell you know not many game series could do that this one has hats off t-shirt on t-shirt on <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think I think there's this sort of thing of um, I think it's good to question the 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 genre of fiction the cinematic side of these games increasingly falls into right and like where it comes from because I I don't think I think they they've gotten very good as you say of like threading these things in and out of a gameplay experience which is about something entirely different and it'd be the I think maybe the way to to, to dig into that is to sort of imagine the situation reversed where you're playing a very serious I don't know, SWAT or Rainbow Six style realistic military action game. And then you watch a cutscene where <laughs> someone chases the people you've just been stalking through buildings with a crocodile that's wearing a t-shirt. You know, you would feel the same sort of sense of like, well, how do these things to these things merge in that context? But the funny thing is, I think they've made it work the other way around weirdly, or they at least yeah. have kind of created, and I don't just mean they as in the Fargo team, I think 
this sort of brand of of whatever you would call it like um larger than life you know military spy thriller sort of thing um has sort of normalized a very strange little genre within itself which I, I kind of i find sort of fascinating yeah. and i think it's interesting that the conversation about the parts of this that are objectionable um is rightly i think hyper focused on the successes and failures of it as, as reputation of a particular place a particular history a particular culture rather than the tropes that are brought to bear that seem to be identical regardless of the setting you know yeah, like these yeah. same tropes showed up when this was montana when it was you know, Nepal or Tibet, and now when it's Cuba. And that is a sort of, it, it, it's weird how um, all-purpose this kind of fiction is. Yeah. Um, there's a good article um, I read uh, yesterday uh, on Wired uh, titled uh, What Far Cry 6 Gets Wrong About Cuba. Um, I've completely picked on the name of the, the writer, uh, Philip uh, Enix Tadson. Um, but it's really good. It's kind of well-researched, quite scholarly article about the history of Cuba and, and, and its representation in pop culture and how Far Cry 6 fits into that. And the thing I thought was interesting about that was um, a few points to do with um, sort of reality versus trope, I suppose, um, and the difficulties of representation within that. So one is that this sort of notion of Cuba as a kind of like um, time capsule where it's still the 60s, you know, yeah, from the cars yeah. to the architecture to the to the music. Um, I think the article, and I'm paraphrasing here, um, so I apologize if I get the nuances here wrong, is, is very much a kind of, um, you know, a, a, a foreign notion, like an American notion born of ignorance about the reality of life within Cuba under under kind of embargoes and, 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 and very, very strict restrictions. Um, and then similarly, uh, the concept of, and I'm going to butcher some Spanish pronunciation here, resolve, resolve there, um, which is the um, sort of, I guess, like the philosophy of making do with what you have, like the thing you were referring to when you're talking about making use of the, the packing peanuts, you know, to make something like the fixing something with what you've got, because that's all you're getting, which I believe is presented in the game as like the kind of... Um, as a kind of highly proactive and positive resourcefulness that underpins it's like crafting. It's, it's the name system. of, of a category of item and uh, tool that you use and a whole category of um, uh, currency that you use to right. buy those things. <laughs> and the, the article makes the interesting point that that is, you know, they've, they've certainly identified a, a, a quality or a something, a specific kind of notion of like, uh, life in Cuba, and they've built a game system around it. But what they've elided is that that system, that that culture, has its pra has its origins in like profound deprivation. It's not kind of it's it's not a team MacGyverism, right? That's just born of pluck. It's it's a, a kind of a necessity born of um, just geopolitical. Um, movements that ultimately force people to have to live a certain way yeah. and and you could say that like but there's something in that translation from that complexity and that level of kind of you know human depth to here's your upgrade tree which is sort of both attentive and deeply inattentive to the actual culture being addressed right and it's the thing i find really interesting about the interesting concerning whatever about the process of something like this coming together the article also makes the point that i as i as i understand it there were no 
Cuban writers on the game, for yeah. example. This um, is one of the, yeah, like one of the things that sort of I've been really thinking about is, is the, the, the sheer detail that went into the creation of um, Montana for Far Cry 5. Mm. The detailing is, it was, you could see how much close attention had been put into it and thought, I mean, you know, it still had wildly kind of uh, disjointed um, tone in it, but, but the details were all very sort of, this is, this Cuba is, is just a cartoon character and you know it as well. And you know that um, this is never meant to be in any way seen as a serious representation. Um, And I, and the thing that pisses me off about that is purely that uh, any any depiction of America will always come under intense security, uh, uh, not security, um, uh, scrutiny, scrutiny um, in a way that other parts of the world do not have that. You know, you don't have that expectation of that. Um, See, so I don't, I don't intrinsically mind. You know, as a obviously as a, a, a an English kind of white man, you know. Of course, I don't, you know, that's sort of, but I, I don't have a problem with a cartoony representation of, of Cuba in general, in the same way that I don't mind a cartoony representation of Montana. But, um, but it's the, it's the care with which, which, the, the, you know, the, the investment they put into Montana that they haven't put into Cuba, which is a, feels shit. And I suppose, and I suppose, there's always then that clash between like what is cartoonish and what is acceptable within a cartoon, which is where you get to the discomfort around exactly like torture is an easy trope and so on. Yeah. I was thinking about this because I think the the series that like sits alongside this as a counterpoint is Just Cause, right? Yeah. Which also has its roots in sort of cartoon Cuba, basically at least originally, um, and is f- far more obviously and transparently a cartoon throughout, right? And I'm not saying that makes it a, a, a uh, a big win um, uh, for, for you know, the representation of, of that culture. I think what it does is it makes it internally consistent. Um, yep. I mean, and that itself is, is like a, a very, um, uh, a, a quality you've got to be guarded about whether it's a good thing or not. But it's it sort of, I think the, the thing that still re- registers as uncomfortable in these games is partly like the, the persistent, um, the persistent like uh discordant feeling of that clash between um what they would like to dramatize and what they would like to bring to life through gameplay there's a word for this i'm not saying it um and the fact that over the years that remains discordant and specifically it remains discordant to us and i think probably to audiences generally to some extent but at some point this has gotten so normal in, in this fiction that presumably audiences will stop noticing I don't know. I don't know how the kids feel about this. Um, but, you know, it's uh, like at what point does someone's act of wonky genre synthesis that, you know, assholes like me think doesn't work just become a genre, right? And cease to be questioned. And I don't know. Um, clearly hasn't happened yet. But who can say? I'll, I'll ask you this though, and this is something because I know that, like, obviously, Tom, I think, has played Francis has played like every Far Cry game because it's called Lupus or Pilling Ten, like the, the outpost yeah. knocking over, you know, mix of stealth and action and freeform kind of approaches and things. Does that still work for you? Like, is there still appeal in that? And 
can this broader thing that all the stuff we're talking about still function as just like a retheming of a experience that it's nice to get back yeah because i'm i'm playing it i'm i'm enjoying it enormously because it's because it's far cry and you know they're really good as i said earlier about making making this game by now you know like the guns feel great i love their kind of dmr style kind of you know you, you get a rifle you put a silencer on it um and a, and a bit of a zoom um uh scope on it and just get put put um uh uh, uh armor piercing bullets in it and it's a it's a fucking great weapon because it's because you're getting headshots all the time but if you miss if you know you're going to be messed you know you'll have probably revealed your position because i'll detect the bullet going past them and you know there's a nice lovely risk reward there but it's very very powerful it's i love uh sneaking into all of the 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 outposts and things with that thing and and it flows in and out of kind of combat and then hiding and seeking and and you in this all this beautiful environment varied and and filled with these vehicles and their vehicles feel pretty good now you know there's this larder thing that i've I thought, ah, oh, fuck it, I'll drive the larder out of my hill, hillside kind of um, base um, down all these mud, uh, very, very wiggly mud roads. And it felt like a rally game all of a sudden. I was like, fucking right. hell, this the handling is like feeling actually fun now in a way that it never did you know, in a few inceptions ago. I can't remember the, how it felt in, in five, actually. But um, all of these different factors, it's really fun. And the upgrade system makes it quite compulsive as well because you know you, you're you get this drip feed of improvements that you can choose to put into weapons and it it really it does ask you to focus a very specific build on yourself because you're holding uh three main weapons um and each of them their upgrades are very specific you know you can have one type of ammunition and that makes it very good at, at um, piercing um armor or very good at piercing um, normal flesh, um, and and not <laughs> I love as good as the difference. other way. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> this Just one can't... will go through a wall, but it won't go through a man. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and and like it, it makes you make choices, and it means that you are constantly tweaking the, your approach to things, and and like I like that really highly opinionated kind of um, approach to upgrading, and it is you know there's so much of it that there's a constant drip feed of new things but there's so much more to fill out and and very little of it is perfect it's very good at holding you at kind of like a hey this feels good and i'm having a nice time but oh i bet it could be better you know that that's the game i'm playing um and it's fucking great i had a really good time capturing a failing to capture actually in the end uh a, a roadblock no there are the 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 regime has these roadblocks i don't think they're in far cry 5 but um they're kind of outpost um but the fact that they're a roadblock means that you've got this constant trickle of uh enemy traffic kind of coming in and then getting snarled up in this huge bun fight mm. of a of a thing that you've that i caused myself um in this one i hadn't really intended on taking it uh, sorry i was in a mission i was in, i was in actually in a mission i had to steal yet another lorry um and I missed a turning and the turning was just before this out, um, outpost. And in this game, when, if you don't stop for, for the outpost, uh, it has these kind of, um, tire, uh, poppers. What are they, what they call them? 
No, the stinger strips kind of thing. Stinger strip. And you basically just stop straight away and then they all attack you. So I piled out of the lorry and kind of managed to lose them uh, by kind of tracking around into the ground growth, came back in again, saw that there was a, a really good kind of crate thing to open that, that was in this locked building. I thought, right, okay, I'm going to find the, the, the leader of this outpost. I'm going to go get him. Uh, got him. And then just this rolling battle like i'd managed to trigger the kind of the main army to come and attack as well helicopter appeared overhead that was kind of firing down on me a tank turned up um and and it's just all the way through it um uh i changed my pets to chorizo or chorizo the 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 two-legged dog (laughs) it's like a a little sausage yeah Yeah, it's a sausage dog you've seen this thing uh and it's it's back legs is presumably a paralyzed and uh, it's got a little kind of trolley that goes around on um, with little tools in it because it's Philly's dog. And um, this dog is fundamentally only there to, to sort of distract the guards who kind of kind of tussle with it. <laughs> um, like wrestle but it's or like must? They, well, they kind of like shoot at it from point blank range or it, it, it's biting oh their feet and it's kind of like and they're sort of shaking their feet. It could, it sounds more kind of horrific than it actually is in, right. in vision, it, in, in sight. Um, it, and actually this, this dog is somehow to shrug off like, the amount of ordnance that it's been thrown itself. I don't, I don't Anyway, it makes this squeaking sound as it goes along. Like, so you know where it is or you mm. know that it's present. It's like squeaky, squeaky, squeaky in the middle of this vast fucking battle that I'd kind of accidentally kind of brought down on myself. And, um, and that, that's Far Cry. Like Far Cry is this game, which kind of, kind of the, sort of the needle flips from there to this incredibly controlled kind of silenced weapon kind of style kind of mm. incursion where you're never seen. I, yeah, it's a really good fun game. I, it's far cry. It's good, but this it's also thing, right? bad. <laughs> the duality of man. Um, uh, I mean, this is the thing. Cause I feel like it's, it's like appropriate to try not to, like, this is exactly what I'm saying, to try not to forget how strange these games are as pieces of entertainment. Yeah. And everything you just described sounds great. And now I kind of want to play it because I think I skipped the last, I really haven't played a lot of the Far Cry games since four. Yeah. Okay. You'll so, have you'll, 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 you'll a nice Yeah, I've got that. They've, got, they've really honed the gun feel, driving feel, like car feel, but all of it. It's all, oh, Chris, I'm sorry. Mm. It's interesting, isn't it? Because, and this is not to borrow borrow from a future lock-in potentially, but I think I, you know, I've got this, I've got this sort of like sensitivity, I suppose, to do these narrative decisions make sense? Are you simply enabling a set piece for its own benefit? Like, you know, does this need to be uh, tropey in the way that it's tropey? Does it need this sort of uh, edgy content, you know, et cetera, et cetera? But then I think about like what I enjoyed about going to see James Bond recently mm-hmm. and how, and it, how I don't almost like I have to kind of just detach completely from its just very strange perception of the world and, yes. and how detached it is from its perception yeah. of its world. And just enjoy the fact that, like, yeah, you know, I, I was in that film for the two and a, to two to eight hours that it took. I'm not sure exactly how. <laughs> um, principally, just for the moments where I'd go, it's nice to see some practical special effects. 
<laughs> I do like it whenever they get that big piston and flip a Land Rover over. Those are good. I like that. That's the same. Like it's that. like, oh, the, the way that that enemy guard's head popped. Yeah. With my armor-piercing bullet. The craft of it. Right, the, the strange of craft of it. It's like we built this art form that's about flipping jeeps over, and we've just got to accept that. Like a lot of work goes into it. What we, what we set dressing we put around that, ultimately changes. Doesn't matter. We're just here to flip the jeeps over. <laughs> I'm, um, I'm conscious that uh, that we've we're almost lock in on uh, on Far Cry Six. So yeah, maybe we should talk about the thing. What you've been playing? Yeah, so what I've been playing was actually so I've um I've actually played a few games recently. I've sort of um the monkey's poor changing the pod format so that we have more time to play games is that it's hit at a time where I've actually played a bunch of things. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm going to talk about one thing now, but I did want to mention that um briefly because it occurred to me that um while you were talking about free form action games about evolving situations, um I have now finished Deathloop, and ah. um. I would like to return to it probably on a future episode when I, when I, if I can get on an episode with people who, um, I've also finished it basically, I suppose. Maybe that is a locket because I think I might be unique among our set of really liking it. Um, but realizing what a kind of strange Venn diagram you need to squeeze into in order for that to be the case, like being the sort of person who likes Dishonored, but also specifically likes playing Dishonored loud, the sort of person who, um, really doesn't like quick saves and almost enjoys being forced to put them down. The sort of person who loves mm. weird PVP, you know, played the whole game with the invasions on and really enjoyed it. And it provides many of my favorite moments. Um, I really liked it. I thought it was a very strange game. Um, and I can understand the, the mixed feelings about it. Um, some of which I think are just entirely justified. Like I think, I think even despite really liking it, I suspect for me, it's an eight, not a 10, mm. but um yeah, I did want to kind of mark that like, that's been a sort of like an interesting journey to undertake recently. And, and and even actually as part of that is being kind of grateful to have this game that is so kind of compact and linear to the extent that it's linear as a kind of very satisfying um, thing to, to pick away at. But as I was preparing my thoughts on Deathloop, uh, another game dropped into my life that has now occupied a good uh, many hours and, and, and a, uh, a big chunk of the last week feels like the last week it may only be a couple of days um which is a game called Splitgate. um and Splitgate is a competitive first person shooter from a new studio uh 1047 i believe and it is advertised as halo meets portal and that is correct it is halo plus portal plus unreal tournament plus overwatch's font um <laughs> It's, it's it's specifically it's halo's weapons and to some extent halo's movement although it does have a cheeky little jump pack which has got a little whiff of tribes to it but not to that extent like a little a sousant like a little sniff a sniff of tribes um but otherwise very much halo's kind of armory it has portals which i'll get to and then it has unreal tournaments uh map feel um, and I mm. don't know what I mean by that, but I wish I could wish I could tell you. Um, it's both the kind of the combination of verticality, wide arenas, a sort of future sports kind of aesthetic in some ways, yeah. but a future sports aesthetic populated by a truly like cursed group of characters. You know, later games in this, you know, your shoot manias or whatever would lean more comfortably into the kind of like, this is Tron kind of feeling. You're all sp- sportsmen. Well, this is, you know... Um, rollerball or something and but there was a there was a moment in time 
you know, Halo even occupied that more comfortably because it's sort of future sports kind of vibes were all about just painting everyone blue or red and getting at it, which this game also does to an extent. But then in the middle, you had Unreal with its vertical maps, its its strange setting that didn't really make any sense. And it's, because um, even Quake Arena had sort of like, well, this is medieval land, this is space land, this is the rest of the Crystal Maze. Whereas Unreal um, was always a sense of like, well, we designed this map that is set in space. We designed this map that's in a tomb. We designed this map that's in Egypt and this map, which is set in a Rocket League track, basically. Um, and then populating this arena is just some dudes we made. We will not explain any of them. Oh, so and this, what's the setup? Is it is it future sport? It's yeah, it's it's future sports. It's it's almost not interested in setup really. It, it's but its presentation is very much future sports, and um, it's got the it's got the big announcer. Um, and um, and so on the surface of it, it's also completely free. I will say that as well. Um, it has battle pass and some cosmetics and things. We'll talk about the cosmetics. Um, but otherwise, it's completely free, and because it's a um, quite like that classic feeling of arena shooter there's nothing to unlock there's no abilities there's no leveling you don't have to unlock the weapons you have every tool in your arsenal from get from the get-go which is i think and one thing i want to say at the top of this is i love this game i think it's genuinely amazing despite some very first impressions I'm so, I'm, yeah. yeah okay it's mm. it's genuinely great and i think we're heading into quite a rich winter for these games probably because Halo's coming back and then you know battlefields on the way and, and all the rest of it um but um it is initially almost too much. And I've been playing it from the initial, I had my initial approach was, oh boy, this is one of those games. And I recognize it really intensely that once upon a time, I would have written a gushing preview of because I wanted it to succeed. Because I am like the guy who loved Lawbreakers, right? Like anyone who's listened to this podcast over the years, I love a doomed shooter, right? Like, you know, um, I love it when people reach design wise. And what is really interesting about this is like every day when I log in to play it, um, I have to wait a few minutes because the servers are at capacity and you queue to get in. Like it seems to have done really, really well. Um, and I, th- and I think part of that might be because it's, um, free immediately and, and maybe it's just the right thing at the right time. Because what's wild about it is all those other games that I have mentioned, um, usually have like a big high concept or something like uh, Overwatch style characters married to, you know, rocket movement or which is lawbreakers pretty much or, or whatever it is. And Splitgate has its big concept portals. And I, I can't believe I've talked about this without talking about portals yet, talking about how they work, but it has so much else from, from these other games and the game modes and things that I should get to talking about that at least on first impression, I didn't think it held together. It was almost like there was too many mechanics. Like you do the movement tutorial when you first load the game, most of it's fine, but you're like, what the fuck? Why have I got a jetpack? Okay. And, you know, in a very strange control decision that eventually becomes second nature, you've obviously, you've got your WASD. It's one of those games. You've got your WASD, but then you've got your portals. And the way they work is this, that most maps are, are covered in this particular material that can take a portal, classic portal thing. But rather than it being like the, slightly painted white concrete or whatever it's this like blue laser mesh and you'll find it in many locations throughout the maps some of them fairly innocuous some of them obviously strategic and you can press q and e to fire at any time regardless of what weapon you're you're carrying um your two colored portals uh, in in classic portal style and then you can press z and x to close the two portals respectively 
and you can shoot a portal infinite distance as long as you can see the surface that it will it will hit and it's unobstructed um and your portals last a certain amount of time unless they are hit by a grenade which closes them you can travel through any portal but you can only see through your own and you can shoot through any portal but only see through your own and enemy portals show up as red regardless of the colors and your friendly portals you do see the colors but again you can't see through them and this is a really complicated set of rules it's so complicated that the portal side of the game like without it this would be a pretty fun halo style arena shooter that is free with good movement some snappy guns and that sort of thing with portals it gains this identity of its own that allows for a degree of big brain that i find i found initially like disgusting and then very compelling it was like because initially like fuck me i can't do this like imagine everything you know about learning a map in a, in an fps right the routes <laughs> the pathways and then imagine add infinite range portals to that and the sight lines they can set up and it's just so much but then what what happened for me is i started breaking it down into manageable things like so i found that i just got into this habit that i treat my e portal which is i think the yellow one as a is my escape port so as i'm after i've respawned and i'm heading into the fight i'll stick that somewhere interesting maybe it'll come out next to a weapon pickup or into a big good vantage point or something like that and then as i'm running around i will get into a fight i'll hopefully kill someone if i'm low on health and i know there's another enemy nearby I'll throw out the other portal, teleport back to where I, you know, run through that portal back to where I was, and then quickly close the other one behind me so that I can, like, it's then it's just my escape, right? It's like I've given myself a way out to reset certain encounters or to kind of get around. And you get used to that utility and that flow, and it becomes part of your kind of way of thinking about how you get around the map. And then with that kind of level of comfort with that mechanic, you start being able to make plays with it and they feel amazing because the thing about portal is the thrill of portal the puzzle game was seeing what you need to do and then executing it and you only really need to do it successfully once and like um obviously there were the boss fights and things that played with that and that's about as close as Splitgate gets Splitgate doesn't require you to be very good at the portals in order to to win but it sets up these moments that you genuinely couldn't have in other games um and I'll give you like an example. There's a mode, there are many modes. There's like, and they're really like old school stuff, like shot, like shotguns and snipers only, or like, um, like headshots or instant kills, team deathmatch with no radar, mm. like all this Halo stuff, deeply Halo stuff. Mm. Um, but one of them is team oddball, which is basically a ball spawns in the middle of the map and it's like this big disco ball and you are scoring points for as long as you're holding the disco ball. It's a bit like one flag CTF in that regard. Um, you drop the ball if you die and you the person who's carrying the ball can only carry the ball they they can bonk people on the head with the ball and it is an insta kill but otherwise it's a question of like these are obviously these big labyrinthine vertical Unreal tournament maps is like protecting that person for as long as possible and then when the other team gets in, finding ways to ambush and track down the person who has the ball and having the ball and using portals to escape the enemy team is just amazing fun when it works like having moments where like there's a trick you can do which i really like which is um if you're being chased you can run shoot a portal at a wall but run past it then turn a corner shoot another portal and run through that one 
And what that means is you're now behind whoever's chasing mm. you because you'll just come up behind them. And coming up behind them, ball in hand and like bonking them on the back of the head just like feels amazing. Or like the trick of running through one of your own portals and then quickly closing it, which causes the person who's chasing you to smack into your now closed portal so that you can get behind them and bonk them on the back of the head. That feels amazing. I had an incredible moment where... I was racing. I placed my escape portal back at the beginning of the map. Me and a teammate were racing for the ball. We got to it, but for whatever reason, my teammate just sort of like stood there, like on this big platform um, and with the enemy team closing in. And I knew in that moment, like we're going to lose it to them here. We're completely outnumbered. So I just made an executive decision and put shot my other portal at his feet and sent him falling through my escape portal just to force him into a different part of the map for a moment and and it worked and it was like at that point the enemy just like where the fuck did he go and it was like ah it's it's so cool and like feels How does it like feel to be on the other side of that though because like sort of I, do you is, is it disorientating or frustrating or both or i either? think i think there it's a it's a game where you respawn fast and where you get a lot of kills and, and die a fair amount in every level in every mm. game and so an individual death doesn't feel too bad and i think when you genuinely get gazumped there's like a kill cam when you die when you genuinely get gazumped by someone's great play with a portal it actually feels better than it does in a typical fps to just get you know sort of 360 no scoped by a you know a player right mm. like you've died when you sit from their perspective and you're like oh you fucking got me there and i see how you did it or like you know oh you were using because you can shoot through the portals so you can use a portal to set yourself up a sniper lane in an impossible place for example um and then there are the moments where you kind of turn the tables and you shoot through an enemy portal that you know they're sniping through and kill them um and you know you can't see them and like it feels it just genuinely feels cool i think the portal stuff never feels like that was bullshit because partly i think and this is maybe like a bit counterintuitive because the possibility space is so huge mm. it's constantly throwing out inventive twists on what's possible rather than oh you used this strat that i see every game that i'm tired of losing to right like there was a a game i had where it was again it was oddball and it was very very close and it's a map that's very very vertical and it has this platform right at the bottom of the map it's like floating the whole arena is floating in the sky and then there's like this platform at the bottom, which there is no way out of it if you're down there, except that the floor is a portable, a portal-able surface. And if you look up, there's like miles above you, there's a little gap in a platform above where you can shoot a portal through to the ceiling of the next of a room far above you. So there is a way out. You just shoot a portal directly up and then you jump through the floor. And I was like on a platform looking down on this and there were two enemy players down there. And they kept trying to portal out, like they would fire a portal up and then they would look down and fire a portal down. And as I, as they would do that, I would just throw a grenade. So it hit them at the same time as they fired the portal down and it would close the portal. And I managed to keep them stuck there for about 20 seconds. There wasn't a super amount of time, but it was enough to get us 20 extra seconds on the ball because I was effectively just holding up two members of their team. I wasn't killing them. I was just holding them up. And that was actually worse than killing them because then they couldn't respawn and go become nuisances somewhere else. And that stuff is like, I've never done that in a game before. I've never just like switched off someone's ability to move by like closing their portal. Um, you know, it, it was like that stuff I, I just think is like, it's really weird that it works. It feels like it should, but it clearly does. And moreover, I think it's so breezy. Like you're in a game quickly, you're out of a game quickly. The modes are varied that like you sort of... Um, 
it passes the time very uh very pleasantly despite being so kind of like potentially daunting as a set of mechanics to get your head around yeah i'm i'm, I'm absolutely daunted when, when i first read about it i thought that feels like um 40 40 chess like it's sort of mm. kind of or at least that it'd be so loose and chaotic that it wouldn't find its own form. I suspect there will be some highest level of competitive play that I never get anywhere near that is deeply complicated. I mean, how many, how much, how many, how much extra dexterity uh, and thought does it take moment to moment? Obviously, you're shooting, thinking about your guns and things, and like I suppose, sort of team-based shooters like Overwatch that are constantly asking you to think about the the way that you use your skills the cool on top of your and things. Yeah, yeah. And things. So presumably, it occupies that same space. That 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 I think it does, skills. and I think I would argue it occupies a kind of a unique thing where so. Uh, I might sound like a huge dickhead now, bear with me. So if you think about it, um, a lot of these shooters have a very particular rhythm where you have your respawn, you respawn. If the game is doing its job, you will respawn somewhere away from the enemy. And then you will go through a period of, if you're playing well, strategic thinking or tactical thinking, as you think about the angle that you'd like to approach the enemy from. And that is complicated in a multiplayer setting by the fact that you don't necessarily know where the enemy is you may have a good idea you may have scanners or some other system that lets you have a sense or pings or whatever but you've got to mix what you don't know with what you do know plan an approach and then be ready for what comes and that is true of any kind of team deathmatch game and or whatever in this context and that is also the time in an overwatch or a destiny for example where you're also thinking about what abilities you have what's about to come off cooldown what you might do when you get there um and some of these games have abilities that allow you to make some other decisions about setting up traps or defenses or laying down a wall or whatever it is to kind of change something about that strategic approach. And then when you've done that, you're in the mix and then it's all about Twitch skill and, and your ability to 1v1 another player, the ability to kind of outplay them, outshoot them, outclick them, etc. And that's where the Twitch skill comes in. And the Twitch, your outcome, the outcome of your success in that arena is half like reactions and, and the the stuff that you you know kind of the 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 quick skill and partly the payoff to the set however much thought you've put into the setup of this arena right so and that's a very very complicated way of explaining if you play well sometimes you behind the other person and you kill them um right what i find really interesting about Splitgate, um which i keep wanting to call slipgate and yes. i think it's split um is that you the, that that strategic time is when you do your most of your portal thinking. I think at least if you're me, I find thinking with portals, to borrow that phrase, in the moment is extremely hard. And the moments where I've done it successfully have felt amazing, but my brain, my brain won't do that every time. But I think I've always been, I play a lot of FPS games and I've always been the kind of FPS player where I think most of my skills lie in the approach and it lets me set up things about my approach that other games don't. And what that means is that those moments where I'm not surrounded by enemy players are made more interesting thanks to the tools at my disposal, right? It's like, I'm not just thinking about where the enemy is. I'm thinking about where I could put a portal to put me myself in the next strategically advantageous position. Mm. Or I'm thinking about, um, you know, where I might need to escape to or where I might need to get to later. So for example, you know, my, and I find it helpful to talk about it in sense of my thinking maturing, you know, initially it was like, okay, I'll have an escape. 
And then it was like, well, where do I put that escape? And broadly speaking, in a very vertical map, even with the jetpack, it's always going to be easier to fall than to climb. And so putting your escape portal or your kind of, you know, in case of emergencies portal somewhere high up effectively resets your position in the map in a place where players are less likely to be because it takes more time to get there unless you port. And also, um, you know, then kind of like gives you usually a more commanding view about how the map is, the match is um, panning out, which allows you to do interesting things like you are pretty sure the enemy's in a particular direction. You go in that direction, turns out to be a bit of a bust rather than then like wandering around aimlessly until you find them. You're like, I'm going to reset. I'm going to go portal. I'm going to portal back to where I was and then try this again with the information I now have. These are like small things, but they add up and they create a much more like what should be 4D chess. And I suspect could be for me ends up as this like consistently engaging brain tickle, you know? Like the fighting is fun, I, you know. The, the the weapons are they feel that they're like a weird, they're a bit like Halo's guns, and they're like a weird combination of weightless and impactful. Mm, where it's mm. like they they feel a bit like you're firing um, laser quest guns, <laughs> but it nonetheless feels pretty fucking good to get a headshot, which is a, f- a formula I don't understand, but it's it's probably magic. Um, and you know the individual combat I do enjoy, but it but what it does do is it just like. I am completely engaged when I'm playing this game, right? Like for the time that I'm playing, I just play one match as like a break, like a 10 minute break for myself and then, then close it again. Then if I'm playing with a friend, maybe I could go a little bit longer. Um, and, but for that time, I'm like contentedly and consistently completely engaged. And because it lacks all of the MOBA trappings that have crept into first person shooters over the years, I feel like the amount of things that happen to me that feel like bullshit I couldn't do anything about are very small. And that is a, that is sort of like catnip to me. That, that is the thing that keeps me kind of committed or interested in a competitive game, I think. Um, and so I think despite how bizarrely mechanics heavy it is, there's actually a, it's, it's funny because it's execution because it's ropey for some of the reasons I want to talk about in some ways. I would never call it elegant, but I almost think the, the sum of its parts ends up creating quite an elegant experience, if that makes sense. Yeah. That sounds a lot more better than I expected. I, it looks, yeah. I'm never going to play it. No, um, no. Um, I, I want to play it now, having talked about it. I do want to say, one thing that's really interesting about it is they've gone for this very generous model, right? It's like Battle Pass supported, um, that you can buy some cosmetics, but otherwise you're not buying for the stuff that gets you access to that interesting sandbox, which is where all the joy of it comes from. Uh, and I, I haven't actually paid, spent any money on it yet. And I intend to get the battle pass because I want to have paid them some money for this game that I think is great. Um, because, oh my God, the, the cosmetics are awful. Like, <laughs> like, like tell me about the characters first. Like, the- so when you begin, when you begin your default character, let's call him, let's call him the, the Poundland Master Chief. It's just, you know, or it's, it's the answer to the question, we've got Halo at home, you know, like, it's just a man. He's just this man. It's just a man, a, a Robert man, a robot man in his suit with his visor and his blue armor. Cool. <laughs> Here he is. And then if you're on the red team, he's red. And then you've got various variants on that formula, sort of fairly indistinguishable future army battle man just it's it's got like there was this um when i was growing up in liverpool there was this like um like 
like homewares shop, like a mixture of garden supplies and um, tools and, you know, bits and bobs. My dad used to go there all the time. And they had like one toy shelf that like, or toy wall, like short wall that exclusively had deeply knockoff action figures. And so there's this, there is a, there is a sense memory I have from being very little, which is like, um, you know, wandering around the, you know, the, the DIY center with my dad and basically the smell of like fresh soil and timber, like that garden center <laughs> smell as it is associated with like the fucking, the most knockoff He-Man you've ever seen. Like, and this game smells like that to me. <laughs> it's funny. It's like, it's quite wholesome because the, the designs are so, so rough. Um, and that stuff is like kind of inoffensive in that it's just naff. And like the guns are all fine. You get skins that are ugly or whatever. But then it has like these special characters and they range from like, that's just like kind of a, a bit of a, like, that's just a knock. That's just a, that's just a wonky Necron. That's just a wonky Necron <laughs> to in that kind of unreal tournament mode of like skeleton demon to like, Oh, it's a man made of coral. And then it has this series of characters who are the most cursed. It's just the most cursed shit. There's a, there's a, one of the, like the expensive characters you can buy from the shop is called Babu. And is some kind of horrifying terror doll. Like she is like, there's like three, there's three female characters of her, you can tell. There's like a kind of uh, shape of water style merwoman. There's a oh, chitinous, chitinous beast, but with, <laughs> but with a great ass. Um, <laughs> cause, cause it's 2005. And, um, and there is Babu, the hell doll, who is like neon pink rosy cheeked dead-eyed android who's not intended to be sexy because she she looks like um was it, was it what is it like the rosy cheeked like rag doll um is it pollyanna oh okay i'm thinking i am not sure but I, yeah i know that I like know Im, the... Im, imagine imagine like todd mcfarlane's poly pocket it's fucking <laughs> horrifying it's just the worst thing I've ever seen. And like, I can't even really explain it, how bad it is. These don't even seem to be sort of fitting in kind of general no, sort of no, there's no aesthetic. kind of categories. No aesthetic. They're just sort right. of nearly, they're, they're sort like, of adjacent to things that you recognize yeah, that people might want character, to play as. My character, I unlocked, there's, a, there's an incredibly funny and very stiff animation for unlocking its loot boxes. But okay. through that system, I unlocked the skin I use, who is a kind of suit of futuristic Halo style samurai armor, but with the coloring and the the green the kind of like pine green coloring and the um the kind of neutral pleasant stripes of like a novelty air freshener like i look like i look like uh, they they were going for samurai but they ended up at, like dangling in a taxi you know um like i look i look pine fresh um and then, and then worst of all, worst of all, there is this series of skins. Cause I was like on the loading screen and like on the loading screen, it's like a bunch of the art's quite nice actually. And there's like a bunch of these cybermen leaping into battle, leaping through a portal. Is this your and among, Necron? No. And among them, a cat man, cat man. And I was like, and on the art, oh, the cat man looks kind of cool, but like, but like, why is there a cat man here? And then I was like, where is the cat man? The cat man isn't in the shop. There's actually a whole bunch of skins that you can't preview at all in the game. They just plonk out of the loot boxes. And cat man must be one of them because I've seen him a few times in the game. And it's the most horrifying thing I have ever seen. It is like, 
it's somewhere between i would describe him as the the blender like imagine imagine if you will a libertarian gamer debate youtuber called gentleman garfield commissions a blender artist to make them a over-rendered cg avatar or imagine have you seen the adult swim short too many cooks yes you know the cat you know the snarf yes the cat from too many cooks imagine if imagine if snarf originated in duke nukem i would love to play that it's and was uncomfortably starting to see that was uncomfortably muscular and made of plastic yeah yeah but like i can see the logic now it's horrifying like i i i i really like this game and i think there's something about that ugliness that i also find kind of like comforting because again it's like I'm getting, I mean, maybe like I'm trying to, I'm trying to sell it for one of the idea that there's something really new here and that it is, it is a very new experience. I, and I think for me, it's existing in this strange hinterland between genuine novelty and deep nostalgia. Um, because, but nostalgia in strange ways, right? Nostalgia for a series of shooters, all of which I've loved, but never seen kind of mashed together like this, but also nostalgia for a time when your choice of avatar or, or pers- you know, persona for Unreal Tournament was so deeply random that there was a sort of um, there was a sort of freedom in its undirectedness, right? Like, yeah, it's it's um, it's a it's a it's a miracle of uh, strange decisions. I can see what you're fighting for. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but like, but there's like, there's a point where you're being chased through your portal by fucking gentleman Garfield and it's horrifying. And that's when it feels like a strange dream. Um, <laughs> and then you wake in a cold sweat. Um, <laughs> that's when you trigger your escape ball. <laughs> Except for they did too. Oh God. Oh no. Oh no. I know. Oh boy. Um, so that's Splitgate. Um, yeah. it's good. I like, and I think cause it's completely free. It's like a 12 gig download. I think, uh, I, I genuinely would suggest it to anyone who likes competitive shooters. I think it's, uh, uh, you know, who knows if it will continue to occupy my time when there's a, a big shiny new, um, Halo to play or Battlefield or whatever. Uh, and obviously I'm, I'm still very much into destiny, but, um, I like it very much and I, I thank it for being it <laughs> and a big thank you to all the other games for for being thanks it. games yeah thanks for games <laughs> you're it um this is going to be a journey for you and me alex because i believe that you and i have no idea how to end this podcast um i, I don't do. want to speak for both of us do you we just all say right. we just say i think that's all we have time for that's oh, God, all the games done it. we have time for yeah um we're going to practice what we preach and, and not do questions on this episode but you absolutely can send us your emails both on the feedback on the changes that we've announced yeah. and do send us your thoughts and your stories and things because we want to take what we're receiving and use it to figure out what is the best use of this material that we're being sent um if it isn't the back half of the podcast so do email us questions in creatingcrowbar.com you can also tweet us at creatingcrowbar you can find our discord uh, via a link on our website, uh, which is at createcrowbar.com. Thank you to all of our Patreon 
backers. You can find out more about supporting the podcast uh, at patreon.com forward slash trait and crowbar. That's it. Um, I have been Timothy Chalamet. And I have been another Wonka. Um, <laughs> who the, Gene the, the, the lost. <laughs> I think that's the only other one you could pick. Uh, thanks yes. for listening. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Everybody. Hey. Yeah. Hello and welcome to episode 13. Shit, that's the number of... Fuck me. Starting this again. Hello and welcome to episode 200... Fuck. <laughs> I'm not... Graham, <laughs> this isn't a bit. Wrong. Graham, this isn't a bit. I'm, I'm dying. <laughs>